podcast is brought to you by Cameron Mitchell, the founder of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants and the author of a new book entitled, Yes is the Answer, What is the Question? How Faith in People and a Culture of Hospitality Built a Modern American Restaurant Company. Please listen to podcast number 693 with Cameron and Greg as they discuss the importance of knowing that your employees are the most important part of any successful business. Cameron has a little red book that all employees get and train with when they join the team. In this book are the core values and five pillars of success for the Cameron Mitchell restaurant chain. Please listen to podcast number 693 and go to www.cameronmitchell.com to learn more about his book and Cameron's philosophy for success. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do, Wendy, every time I come on these shows, um, there wouldn't be an Inside Personal Growth if it weren't for the people from around the world, everywhere. We get them from everywhere that listen to these podcasts. And I really do, for those of you who are listening, appreciate you coming on the line. And today, joining me from Canada is Wendy Lowen. Am I saying that right, Wendy? You are. You pronounced it exactly correctly. <laughs> okay. Um, she's a mediator, facilitator, and the training development specialist at Achieve Center for Leadership and Workplace Performance. And if you want to go to look at their website, go to um, www.achievecenter, but they spell that with an E on the end for all those of you who are listening. And that's uh, A-C-H-I-E-V-E-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And you can check it out. There you'll find workshops, products, free resources. It's a wonderful website and an opportunity for people to learn more about what Achieve does. She is the co-author of this book, The Cultural Question, and she's the author of many Achieve workshops, including Respectful Workplace, Assertive Communications, and Performance Management. In her work as a mediator, speaker, and facilitator, she is committed to helping organizations create dynamic and engaging places of work where people care about each other, are productive, and deliver quality services and products. Wendy believes that learning is a dynamic and lifelong endeavor, and with commitment, guidance, and individualized support, this process should be enjoyable and motivating. And Wendy, I couldn't agree more with you. That's one of the things we always talk about at Inside Personal Growth, and that's why people keep coming back is because they want to learn. They are continual learners. And I think that's very appropriate for this. Now, this book, The Cultural Question, or The Culture Question, uh, is really a book all about how to create a workplace where people like to work. And I will tell for those of you out there listening, uh, this would be a wonderful book uh, in your resource library. Anybody in HR, human resources listening, anybody who is HR with inside of a company, uh, this is a great book for you and any leader in the company who wants to transform their culture. Now, Wendy, your organization, Achieve Center in Canada, did a survey of 2,400 people asking what does and what does not make a good workplace? If you were to distill this into a nutshell, what did you guys learn from this survey? Well, thank you very much, Greg, for having me on your show. And thank you to your listeners as well for their time and interest. It's very much appreciated. 
You know, the survey was absolutely fascinating, the results that came back to us. Um, and there are many things that make a great workplace. So we're not saying that we have the definitive on what makes a good and a great place to work. But there were six key ideas that came back very, very clearly that the survey respondents sent a pretty resounding unanimous me message to, to us when we looked at the data. So first of all, they really, the first sort of pillar we call it or this first factor was they really want to be connected to something bigger than just showing up at work every day. So an organization's purpose and their values matters a lot to individuals in finding meaning in their work. And that connects to um, the second one, meaningful work. People want to be a part of something that uh, has value beyond just the, the, the tasks that they do. They want to be connected to their work, yes. They want to find value in that. They also want to find value in the organization that they're a part of, their team, and they want to be collected, connected to something, something larger. So they need work that fits who they are, that provides them with meaning, but also connects back to that first factor. And all of these pillars that we found, you'll see there's, there's kind of a thread. They all link back to each other. They're not independent entities. So that was the second one. They want to they want to be part of that. So the first one was the purpose and the values. The second one is being part of something that's their work is meaningful in and of itself. And you know the third one was really interesting. The third pillar is they they want their leadership to focus on on who they are on who they are as people. Um, they want to feel like they're a part of a team and that their leadership is not just focused on that bottom end, productivity, uh, being lean and stream and, and efficient, but that they actually care about them as individuals. And well, I, I think that go. caring about them as individuals is really important. And, and proceed forward. You were going to talk about another one? Yeah. You know, we found six pillars. So the, the fourth one was building meaningful relationships within the organization that Peter, people are part of a collective and they want to feel like they're connected and they know the people around them. The fifth one was that they, they want to be part of peak performing teams. They actually want to feel like their efforts and their capabilities um, are yielding valuable resources and services. And the last pillar, the sixth one was that there's, there's often conflict that comes up in our work and they wanted to be part of a group that knew how to work well and to manage conflict constructively. Well, all of those, so those six, were kind of the six pillars. Yeah. And that's what you found out from this survey. And I think that's uh, valuable data to have. Now let's talk about, you know, chapter two of the book, you and your co-authors make a case for communicating purpose and values in organization. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hear, uh, kind of conflicting stuff. You know, I've interested, mm -hmm. I've, I've actually interviewed Lance Secretan and some people recently and they're saying, well, maybe we should do that. Maybe we shouldn't. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to be the contrarian here. What I'm going to say is you state that 98% of people surveyed believe that having meaningful purpose is important for them to work for the respective organizations. How would you recommend including the employees of the organization in the development of a common purpose that aligns with their personal purpose? I think that's the million dollar question. Yeah, I think organizations that take the time to consider very carefully 
what their purpose is and what are the values that drive that are going to draw employees, are going to actually have individuals who want to be a part of what they are doing. So at Achieve, we have said, you know, we want to, we want to inspire learning and to better lives. I think that that is, I mean, it's very aspirational. It's large. And I think that as an organization, what we've tried to do is to say that this actually is what we as an organization are about. And if you can find, if it fits with what your particular values are and how you identify for yourself what your personal values are, then there's the possibility that we are a fit. So I, I think about my, myself, Greg, you know, my values, you know, I really believe in promoting harmony and excellence and being relevant um, to the environment in which we're, we're placed. And so although those values are slightly different than what the mission statement says, I fit in with that organization because it complements who I am. And I think that's the alignment. It's not about identifying values for the sake of having them on a placard that's on the wall. I mean, that we know doesn't necessarily have any long-term implications or effects. We want this to be something that comes from within the individual and within the organization and that there is an alignment there. Well, I think that alignment is obviously the alignment of the individual with the organization. And in so doing, if you can find, if anybody can find that magic secret sauce that makes that happen, that's where you have an organization where engagement levels increase. And I'm going to move to that question. You know, engagement levels inside organizations today are at an all-time low in North America. Um, and if, in your estimation, what have you seen? What are the factors for such low levels of engagement? And how can employers address these issues of low levels of engagement with their employees? Yeah, Greg, you're, you're so right. And this was one of the, the sort of an impetus for us writing the book is that, you know, there's this research out there that seems to just keep coming back year after year after year that says the same thing. We have about, you know, 30% of our workforce that's not engaged in what they're doing. There's, or who are engaged, sorry, there's about 30% who are engaged. I think there's 52 or something like that that are disengaged. So these are people who are on Facebook. And then you have the rest of the contingent, 18% who are actually disengaged and, you know, posting negative comments on Facebook, so to speak. So to, uh, so to speak. And what we found fascinating is in our line of work, we, we get to, we're privileged to hear employees' experiences and to go into a wide variety of organizations. And yet we kept hearing over and over again that people wanted to be engaged. They were, they were wanting to contribute the best of themselves. And yet there was something that was happening in their environment that didn't allow them to contribute what they were capable of contributing. And so you know, through, our, through the survey and through our own experience and from speaking with a wide, wide variety of individuals working in a wide variety of different environments, we thought there's a little bit of a disconnect here. Um, people don't want to be disengaged. It's not like they're showing up at work not wanting to work and just get their paycheck at the end of the day. And what we've distilled it down to is that we believe that culture plays 
sort of is the is the paramount role in bringing people back, bringing people back to work, to enjoying work, to feeling satisfied, to connecting with with something higher than just showing up and getting the task done and walking out the door at the end of the day and getting their paycheck. And that that brings me to something, Wendy. Um, you know, I think people. Um, go to work because there's a skill set that matches, but mm-hmm. there isn't always a passion that matches with the skill set. And I think that the issue here is not only their own having to find their own personal purpose to know where they are, but their own values. Yes, very much so. I I love the words, you know, the word being passionate about something that you do. One of the things that we have found in so many organizations is that just to have a skill set is not necessarily going to give you satisfaction in your in your place of work. There's there's the content of what we do in our role, and then there's so much more. There's interest, there's there's aptitude, there's there's places maybe that we don't even recognize in ourselves that we have potential talent. Um, this has been an ongoing theme in our organization in particular, where we've hired people because of, you know, their character and their values and how they identify with what we're trying to do as an organization. And we hire them for one role because they have the skill set. And within a period of time, we realize, oh, they've had, they have all these other hidden talents and interest that they sometimes, you know, come forward a little, you know, they tread in very carefully in terms of offering what they could do or would like to do. And we find they have this real depth of, of ability, capability, interest, and they move into a very, very different role. Yeah. And, you know, people evolve in their roles as well. You know, there may be a job description. Somebody says, yeah, I fit that. But as you know, in most organization that that morphs um, sometimes for the good and sometimes not so much for the good mm-hmm. because of the additional work that's required. Now you and your organization achieve center have come up with a process which consists of four steps to help an organization define their values. I'd like for you, if you would, could you explain the steps and what benefits that, that an organization might achieve by going through this process. Um, I thought I, I thought it was a, a really good one and an opportunity for our listeners to take these steps and apply it to develop these values. I think if anybody's going to do anything, they should at least define what those values are. Yeah. So, you know, we think it's really important to to talk with people about what our what our values are. And we we think it's really important to come from a place of strength. And so to think about, you know, where are we at our best? How, how, what are the behaviors that we see? What are the interactions that we see when we as an organization and as a team are at our best? And the idea of how our values actually lived out, it's, it's, it's fine to have sort of a nebulous or a shrouded you know, title to a value, but, but how do these values, what kind of behaviors do we see that are attached to this? What are the hands and feet that move things forward? And then to name them and to name them in a way that reflects how they are experienced in our organization. And then to really think about how we're going to apply 
these values, yes, we've, we've talked about what we want to be at sort of at our best, what we're experiencing, we've named them. And then we want to think about how we can apply them in various situations. Uh, in crisis situations, when we have to make tough decisions, when we're in conflict with each other, when we're wrestling with ideas, how can we actually manifest behaviors that reflect those values? And then we want to actually live them, to go out and to affirm each other when we see them, to validate them, so that they take on and, and become, become, really become a part of what the organization is about. Yeah, and I think when people know their values, know what they stand for, know what the organization stands for, it makes it so much easier for them to say, okay, now if we have this initiative or this goal, they know why they're working toward that goal or that initiative or that project. And, you know, Achieve has developed a framework which consists of four phases to assist a company in transforming the culture. And what I'd like to do in our podcast here is talk about these four phases and you in phase one, which is assessing the culture. Um, what's an easy way for our listeners out there? Let's say there's an HR person listening or a COO or CEO. Um, what's the easy way for the company to do an assessment of their culture? I think organic assessments are probably one of the best ways to walk through your organization with fresh eyes to what do you hear, what do you see, what do you feel when you walk into uh, an organization. I mean, culture is manifested in so many different ways. You know, do we see pictures on the wall that re reflect um, sort of a, a personality in the workplace? Are we greeted by friendly people? What do we hear? Do we see teams working together? Do we see people focused on their tasks? What, what, what is happening in the environment? Um, another way to assess culture is to imagine if somebody else is walking through your entire workplace. They get to spend a whole day there. What are they going to see? What are they going to hear? What is their takeaway? When they go and sit at the dinner table that night with their family or their friends, what will they say about our organization? What was their experience? And I think those six pillars that we talked about um, are, are good ways to begin assessing a culture as well, to give us some concrete questions to work through. You know, are the purpose and values communicated? Is there meaningful work? Um, do we see leadership that cares and is focused on the people in the working environment? Do we see meaningful relationships within uh, the teams? Are they performing well? And, and are they managing their conflict well? So I think those are important things to think about in that first phase of assessing culture. Well, that is something that you do quite well in the book and your co-authors is at the end of each chapter, there are some compelling questions mm -hmm. to give to people for to kind of think through a lot of this. And I think that's what the book is meant to do. You know, what is the culture question? Um, now in phase two, you talk about envisioning a desired culture. How does Achieve or you help companies achieve this desired culture? Well, you know, when you think about this second phase, this is about sort of expanding our imagination. This is where we get to dream a little bit. We get to envision something more. And our goal is to help organizations wherever they are at 
whatever their work entails to help them sort of expand their capacity to see what might be. Um, and to use the, you know, the, the analogy of walking through and what would people see and hear, you know, to do, do the opposite. Close your eyes and imagine your culture is healthy, is vibrant. What would you see? What would you hear? How would you see people interacting with each other? And again, those six pillars are a great sort of framework to envision what this future could be. Yeah, and that's a great opportunity to kind of go back to those six pillars. Um, they're well articulated in the book. Now, th- uh, in this is phase three, which is to share and mm-hmm. teach the culture. What are some of the best ways that you could or tell people or inform them to ingrain the new behaviors. I want to emphasize that because it is new behaviors Mm -hmm. that are actually having to be developed uh, into the workforce population. What would you, what advice would you give somebody about ingraining new behaviors? Well, I know Greg, you've talked with other of your guests about how difficult change really is. And I think we all even know that on a personal level, you know, if we're trying to change health habits, for for example, or exercise, change is really difficult. And I think we need to recognize that. Uh, people are stepping into something that's new. They're going to be treading in territory that might be unfamiliar for them, and they need the chance to try on behaviors. And 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 have success and have that validated, but to also recognize that, you know, people may step back from that. And I think, you know, it comes, I think leaders have a really important role in this. And the idea of, you know, repeat, 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 that it's not enough to articulate this, this new culture, this dream, this hoped for anticipated culture. We have to keep repeating that, reminding each other, encouraging each other in as many formats as we possibly can, not just the staff meeting, um, not just in the newsletter or the memos, but again, coming back to those concrete behaviors that demonstrate the new culture, looking for those, being proactive, validating them, um, giving recognition to them. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like exercising a new muscle. Uh, you, know, you constantly have to work on that to build strength. And I think the key is about building this strength. And that leads me to phase four, which is to monitor and provide accountability. Now, accountability can have a good connotation. Uh, and it usually does for upper management. But when you get to other people that are in the what I call the the bowels of the ship, sometimes it doesn't. Why is monitoring of these behaviors so important and also putting some accountability on the people that are responsible uh, for this? Yeah, you know, if we, if we recognize that change is hard, when we have a culture and when we've communicated this vision, accountability should not be a negative thing. It should be seen as a support. I want my my coworkers, I want my staff, I want the people that I supervise to call me to accountability because we all recognize that this is a journey, this is a path, this is about constant improvement and growth. And that we should we should trust each other enough that when people bring concerns to us or they remind us of things 
it is a gift. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not a reprimand, and it's it's a little bit of a shift in mindset in terms of how we operate and respond to accountability in our organization. But feedback, accountability, yeah, it, it should be something that we create a culture where that is actually welcome because we are all working for the same the same vision, the same purpose that aligns with our own personal vision and purpose as well. I like the fact, Wendy, that you mentioned that resistance element because, you know, that's a common human trait is to resist something you don't want to hear. And you also do other courses on communication, and I think that's a big one. And and we are learning something by the fact that we're resisting something. And if we could only peak our awareness to that, that would be a wonderful thing to say, well, um, I, I maybe didn't do quite the right job, but, and I was told by my, my, my fellow, uh, workers that I didn't, and instead of pushing back, say, Hey, what is it that I need to change? And that's being a big person to do that. Now, Wendy, if you were to give the audience today, a summation of the key of the culture question, you know, the whole book. Um, in creating a stellar culture or one that needs to transform. Um, I always use the word transformation because mm. it's much different than using the word change. And we all know that change is a state. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like water, right? It can be yeah. a solid, a liquid, right? Or a vapor. And the reality is sometimes people uh, change state, but they don't transform. What would be one of the key things for you in transforming a culture? I think to recognize that we are all learning. We are all in this together. Every day we are changing. We, you know, things are not static. And we are always, we're moving in a direction and we all have a choice to what direction we want to move in. And we want to have a culture where people feel included, they feel validated, they feel respected, they feel like they are valued for not just their contributions, but who they are as a person. And when we create that kind of collective identity, it allows us to to, to constantly be working. Change in culture is not a one-time deal. It, it's an ongoing process. And, and transformation means we move to a new state, right? And so that new state becomes, and then we continue that, and we're perpetually moving forward. But it is, but it is together as, as, as a collective. And with the, with the ultimate goal that what we do in our organization, in our group, in our culture, that this moves beyond just our four walls, but that we have an impact. And that's an important thing to remember is that our work has impact beyond just the work that we do, but to our clients, to the services that we provide, to the organizations that we touch outside the realms of just our particular work team. That is a great summation of this book. And I appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth. And as a reach out, if you would, Wendy, you know, you weren't the only one responsible for this book. There are three other authors beside yourself. Um, if you would, can you mention those three authors? I know I don't want to mess up their last names because there are a couple here that <laughs> I might do that with. 
So Randy is the founder of your organization, and how do you pronounce his last name? Randy Griesler. Yes, he's the founder and CEO, and also, uh, you know, Eric. it's interesting. The, and Eric Stutzman. Mm-hmm. And then the Michael. Director. And then, and then Mike, Michael Laboon. Like Michael Laboon. So the four of you are equal contributors to this, and I yeah. just wanted to make sure that we got everybody on the podcast as a contributor. And for all my listeners, there will be a link to this book to Amazon. You can pick this up at Amazon. Um, it's a great book. Um, it's a hardback edition. Do you have it in paperback? And also, do you have it in um, audio or just paperback? It is also going to be available on audio. So it's hardcover and audio. Okay. So only hardcover and audio right now, folks. But it will be available in an audio um, soon. Um, do go up to um, Amazon. That's where we'll put a link for you to get this book. Do go to their website. Um, again, that's Achieve Center. And for all those in the U.S., just put an E on the end of center because they spell it a little bit differently. And it's AchieveCenter.com. You will go to a website that's very well done with resources, uh, reading, opportunities to read a blog, as well as downloadable resources as well. Wendy, a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and speaking with our listeners a little bit this morning. Um, thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. And uh, again, thanks to your audience for listening. This was a very in, uh, enjoyable conversation. Thank you for the sparking uh, question. Uh, you're quite welcome. This podcast is brought to you by David Dibble, the author of a new book entitled The New Agreements for Leaders. Please listen to podcast number 694, where David and Greg discuss the four new agreements for leaders, managers, and coaches, as well as the seven simple tools designed to develop emerging leaders and managers, which is key to growing excellent organizations. The four new agreements, which are, number one, find your higher purpose for work. Number two, grow and serve your people. Number three, lean into the core problems. And number four, pursue mastery. Although they're quite simple, it requires consistent diligence to integrate them into the way you and your people lead and manage. Still, it's well worth the investment. You can expect ROIs of 3x to 10x year one, along with much more engaged people. Join David and Greg as they have a very lively discussion about these four new agreements and how they can change your profit, performance, and purpose. Please listen to podcast number 694 with author David Dibble as they discuss the new agreements for leaders. You can also go to www.thenewagreements.com for more information about this book. Thank you for listening.